0: Got a message on my heart. It's kind of heavy this morning. I want to share with you. The Lord's been speaking two things to me recently. And uh, those two things are identity and maturity. And the two go hand in hand. We've got to know who we are in the Lord, but we've also got to mature and grow up in this thing and begin to move forward. Uh, when it comes to serving God and in our relationship with Him. I think we have a tendency at times to not receive God as God. We receive God, but we don't receive Him in the sense that He is God. Okay? So it's like we like God because we want to know that there's an orderly universe. We like God uh, in the sense that He is orchestrating and arranging things and things aren't chaotic. We like the fact that we know there's someone we can go to when the bottom feels like it's falling out. We receive God in that sense. But do we receive Him as the Lord of our life? Because I believe that taking the Lord's name in vain is not using God's name as a cuss word per se. Taking God's name in vain is saying that you are God's when you are not really giving all to Him. See, the issue is not salvific in the sense that We ask Jesus into our life or pray to prayer at one time. The issue if you're serving God is if you are actually under the lordship of Christ Jesus and you are in him. Uh, Jesus reiterates this over and over and over in the scriptures where he says, what fellowship does darkness have with light? And we would say, well, a little bit of darkness and a little bit of light, right? But when light shows up, darkness has to leave. Right? So when Paul asks that question and says, What fellowship has this with this? It's a non-answer. It answers itself. Because when light truly comes in, what happens is, is darkness has to leave. And you either decide with darkness and begin to move into that darker reality... Or, you step into the light and allow the light to cleanse you and expose what needs to be exposed and begin to get to the root of what's actually going on in your life. See, sometimes we project onto God how we want Him to be. And more of what we are claiming who God is is more of a projection from our own hurts, our own feelings, our own sin issues, whatever it might be, and we project these things onto the Lord and then call that God. But that's making an image after your own self, not after the uncreated God. God is the only entity in the universe that human hands or hands of any nature have never touched. So it's saying that the creation gets to tell the creator who he ought to be and what he ought to do. So that when we come into true relationship with God, it's not that we always understand what God's doing. It's not that we're not sometimes baffled and say, God, what are you doing? But we've come up under the covering of this statement, God, you are in charge and God, I'm going with you. I, I, I'm following you. We don't get to choose who God is. It's like a potter. It's like a, the potter and the clay uh, analogy. It's like if the pot turned around and said, hey, what are you doing back there? Like, like cut it out. I form myself. Uh, uh, right? It's like laughable. It's like not even possible. And this is what it is to come into relationship with God, is to say, God, that you are the creator, you are the one who's shaping me, God, and I'm going to submit under your hand and under your lordship so that you can make me into your image and not me make you into mine. See, we've got too many church folks trying to make God into their image and we've created a God that's okay with everything and not a God who has standards, who has morals, who is one that is trying to to have our best interests at heart and trying to make us flourish and whatever. And we step out of that goodness and out of his creative hand and we step into this other thing that would say, God, here's how you ought to do it. God is the I am that I am. The ground of all reality. And the one in whom everything that is made is made. He is the one that is not created. So we are the ones that are created. And isn't it odd? And this is what the human heart tends to do. And this is all of our problem on some level. But the human heart thinks it knows better than God, right? Like our less than a hundred years of life experience, and then we go to the sovereign God who's always existed before time began. And then we say, okay, God, you know, I think I got this. <laughs> I need you just to bless this little deal over here to make it work. And then once you make that work for me, I, I won't bother you anymore. I won't need you anymore. And we can just go on and, and I can go on and do, do my thing. But I need this, just this little thing right here, right now. And the reality is, is that it's all His. There's not one square inch of this earth that God hadn't said mine, including you. So you are bought with a price. So you're in a precarious position. To be bought with a price and to be owned by God, but yet to call your own shots and determine what you think God ought to be and what He ought to do and what He's okay with and what He's not okay with. You don't get to decide that. You have to come up under the Lordship and the protection of God. And if His name is on you, then His name is on you. And you are His and not someone else's. We don't bend God. He bends us. See, the whole idea of holiness is uncreatedness. It's that you don't get to put your hands on God and form Him. You don't get to make God into your image. He makes you into His image. But I think we uh, we have these Greek... Western mindsets that look at things in opposites, right? Is that we see God as, as, as an opposite and Satan as an opposite in, in different things. Like when we say good, the opposite would be? Right? We say rich, the opposite would be? Poor. We say God, the opposite would be? That's right, nothing. Because Satan's a created reality. He's not God's opposite. And you've given him too much power in your life when he's a created being that God has got under his feet and wants to put you into the position to have him under his feet. See, you've given him too much power. See, if we're really receiving God as God, then he's God. Right? Right? So the reason you've been staying in this place for so long is not because you've received God as God, is because you've projected your image onto God and you've said, God, I don't want to go that far. It's not time for me to do that yet. Yeah. But does anybody get to tell God when it's time for God to be God? So what you've done is you've de-elevated God and you've not seen Him as powerful in your life. You've put Him on your time schedule when He's above time and space and outside of that realm of reality. And He's trying to pull you up and say, come up here. And you're still trying to say, no, 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 no. Come down here. I'm not ready for that yet. It's a great reality of we think we're going to boss around the Lord. This is why God demands fruitfulness. You know why God demands fruitfulness? Because if we're in Him, we'll produce fruit. Why is He always inspecting fruit and wanting us to inspect our lives to see if there's fruit there? Because if we are in Him, fruit will be produced. Right? Right? Doesn't mean we don't have struggles, don't mean we don't have to go through things at times, it doesn't mean that everything's peachy and rosy. But if we are in him, he'll produce fruit. He's not saying, Come to me, then work really hard on your own to produce some fruit. Right? And this is what we do it sometimes, is that we, we get caught in this this business of trying to carry fruit. Right? But it's hard to carry fruit. Justin, hand me this bag of fruit over here. Man, I just happen to have a bag of fruit. Isn't that wild? (laughs) Praise God. The Lord provides. (laughs) Right? It's hard to carry fruit, isn't it? I mean, love, joy, peace, really hard to carry it with a microphone like this. (laughs) Gentleness, self-control. Oh, there's a good one. (laughs) Kindness. Whoa, some of you need to read that again. Uh, Goodness, right? And it feels burdensome to carry the fruit. And when we're trying to carry it, in our own strength, what it's really doing is pretending we have something that we don't actually have. Because a tree doesn't carry fruit, it bears it. And what happens is, is we get into this place of comparative righteousness. Where really, you know, hey, I'm doing pretty good at this one, but over here, you know, I'm not very good at that one. Hey, look, I'm carrying more fruit than they're carrying. <laughs> oh, man, I've got it going on. Yeah, yeah, I, I got it going my way. Look at the, all the I can carry six, well, five fruits, and they can only carry three. See, this is what happened to the first-century Jews as they began a fruit carrying contest: who could carry the most amount of fruit? Whoever carried the most amount of fruit must have the relationship right with God. But if you're carrying fruit, that fruit's already been picked. And it's on its way to death. The only thing living of real fruit is fruit that's actually connected to a tree. Fruit that's actually bearing naturally the way God had intended. So God is calling us into his lordship and into his covering and into covenant with him where we are his and, and he is ours. He's bringing us into that place because it's the only place in which we can produce fruit and be created into the image that God would have us created into. I'm going to read you a scripture here about nine verses in Luke chapter 13. And this is kind of a weird, you ever read something and you said, that doesn't sound very Jesus-y. You, ever, you know when Jesus isn't very Jesus-y sometimes? This is kind of one of those odd, obscure kind of deals here. And Jesus is being uh, surrounded by some people with some questions. And what I found is, is the why question always brings us around. The why questions always lead us to the Lord to ask Him, uh, why did this happen or why did that happen? The, the, The whys bring us close. But if you'll notice something about God, He rarely ever answers why. He rarely ever answers this question of why. Because the why question isn't really the issue at all. It's not a why question. It's a who question. The question is, who are you and who is God? Who is he in your life? Who do you receive him as and who is he as he actually is? And if he is who you say he is, have you received him as such? And is he making you into his image? Fruitfulness. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. There was some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Verse 2, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way. See, as in many cultures, everybody wants to answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And our rationality tends to go they must have had something really bad in their life which led this terrible event to happen to them uh, and for this kind of an ending to happen. Now, this brutality mentioned here, this matches Pilate's cruelty because Pilate was a very cruel, cruel man. Josephus talks of it an account. He's a first century Jewish historian. This is an extra biblical account. Uh, uh, account, but he says that Pilate at one time had 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 to make a power display of how much control he had uh, of Israel at the time was that there were some pilgrims coming down to have Passover. We can assume it's Passover because they had sacrifices and the priests didn't. The only time when the common person had a sacrifice would be the event of Passover. So here they are about to offer their sacrifices unto God. Pilate sees them in some kind of crazy event. Pilate kills these Galileans and mixes their blood with the blood of those sacrifices and then offers that unto God. Tragedy. Amen. Immeasurable. And whenever something like this would happen, news would spread really fast. And so the people began to talk about it and talk about it. They said, well, wait, there's this Jesus guy. And he might be able to put to bed why this happened to these Galileans. But many times when Jesus is approached with a question, he recites a question back unto those people that reveals the heart of the true thing that is at hand. So they ask that question, do you think these uh, Galileans, were they worse sinners? And Jesus says, well, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in that way. Jesus then answers their question, verse 3. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What Jesus is saying is this that it doesn't matter how you die. The reality is, is that we are all in a very fragile frame and we are all in this place of a world that is uh, seething with, with sin and seething with different things that it creates a dynamic and a paradigm in the current age that we're in that we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. Jesus turns this back on them and says, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now Jesus goes as far in verse 4. And he one-ups them. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Verse 5, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. See, there's two kinds of tragedies in the text. There's one that's accidental, the tower falling, and one that was caused by the evil of humanity. But the worst tragedy that Jesus points to, do you know what it is? That one day we're all going to perish. One day we're all going to stand before God. One day we're all going to give an account for how we lived our lives. One day you're going to stand face to face and look at the one with nail-scarred hands And you're going to give an account for what you did with Jesus and how you lived your life. See, Jesus points to the worst tragedy, the final judgment of people that haven't made up their mind of what to do with Jesus. And this is what happens to us all, right? We get caught in a tragedy. We get caught in a moment of crisis. We get caught in this. And then we turn from the reality of eternity, and we begin to live in the here and now. And while we're living in the here and now, everything else doesn't matter, just my comfort, my problem, my stuff, my this, my that, and we begin to live this self-centered life that doesn't answer to God it doesn't answer to a pastor it doesn't answer to anybody it just goes on and just does whatever it wants to do every once in a while popping in to say God I'm still here and I hadn't forgot about you Uh, but that reality is not a relationship with God that's not a relationship with God It looks like it because if you compare it to the other people that are carrying fruit in the world, the world looks really bad. So if you're carrying a couple things, man, it looks like you're really going big guns. But the reality is, is that that's not what it is to be in relationship with God. To be in relationship with God is to surrender yourself unto him and to submit yourself unto his hand and say, God, I'm not moving no matter what comes my way. Why are you still letting the devil boss you around? Keeping you from being unfaithful, keeping you from answering the call. Yeah. Never seen such an offended generation. You know why you're offended? Because you've got so much flesh left to offend. Dead men don't get offended. Are you letting situations determine your effectiveness and your faithfulness to Jesus? Because you've elevated that as God in your life and Jesus isn't God in your life. Is this okay? I know this ain't typical Pastor Matt today, but, you know, we're just going to clean house while we can here. This is what it is to grow up in the Lord. This is what it is to grow up in the Lord, is to take an honest assessment of our life and say, what's really controlling me? What's really controlling you? Man, when I got saved, nobody had to tell me to go to church or encourage me to go to church. Kidding me? I get to worship Jesus? I was the first one at the door. Last one to leave. i going to beg people to come to church and worship King Jesus? What's really in here? Then what's really in here? Really? Is God that weak and powerless? You know, I've learned something about a lion. You don't have to defend a lion, you just turn them loose. And everybody's answering. Everybody's got, you know what the why question does? The why question puts God on trial as if he's the one that's not innocent. No, you're going to stand before God and you're going to have to answer the why. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, quit putting God on trial and asking why all the time. Ask the why of your own life and say, unless I repent, I'll perish. Because these people that died like that, I'm no better than them. These people that passed away like that, I'm no better than them. But I'm going to go the same way. We live live as if we know when our time's going to be. We plan more for our vacations than we do eternity. I'm just mad because I ain't been on one in a while. So <laughs> got in the flesh there. Help me, Lord. Anyway. Verse 6, <laughs> and he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this tree, and I can find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Three entities in this story. There's a a vine dresser who would appear to be God. And there is this other one, this caretaker that seems to be uh, like Jesus and and the Holy Spirit. And so it it appears that this one fig tree is just not bearing fruit. Now, Now, in this time, they would give a tree three to five years to even produce fruit. So, this tree had been alive for a while, and for year three, four, and five, it had bared no fruit. So, suddenly, the one who owns the vineyard, who owns this orchard, this fig orchard, is looking at it and said, for three years, this thing should have produced fruit by now. This thing should have been producing something by now. And we know God's not harsh, right? The parable of the talents. He says, Man, this guy could have put something in the bank and drew a little bit of interest, and I would have been okay with it, right? So so it's not this harsh God. It's like, for three years, this thing has sucked up the soil, sucked up the nutrients, and it's already been living for three to five years. And so now, for the next three years, it hasn't done anything. You know what? I'm ready to put something else in its place that's going to produce some fruit. Get the axe. Let's cut it down. This thing should have produced fruit by now. Verse 8. And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also. Until I dig around it and put on manure. It feels like that sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now, notice here, he says this hasn't produced in three years. Okay? How long has Jesus' ministry been on the earth? Well, three years in that time. So, for three years, Jesus has been doing ministry, and God's looking. Still no fruit. After all the miracles, and we all think that, I'm one miracle away from finally surrendering all to God. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You've been saying that the last miracle God give you. Been doing miracles. He's casting out devils. He's telling them the ways into the kingdom of God. He's loving on them, he's hugging them, he's embracing them, he's healing them, he's touching them, he's speaking to them. There's nobody off limits. He's with the poor, he's with the rich, he's with the this, he's with the that. He's confronting every religious spirit that would try to put up walls and brocades to the spirit of God moving in the earth. I mean, he's doing everything in his power. God's looking down and saying, thought I'd have got a fig by now. After all, this is my vineyard. This is my ground who I've made rich enough with minerals that this thing should have been growing by now. Nope, get the ax and cut it down. But Jesus... But Jesus soon, he says, Let me give it one year. Let me do whatever I can to get this thing back to life. And I don't want to waste this fig that's not producing. So I'm going to pull back the dirt around the roots. I'm going to pull back some things and expose some things because I believe that fig tree can still live and God still believes that you can live. He still believes that you can do it. He's given you one more year. He's given you one more year. If you'll let him expose all that junk and that garbage, if you'll surrender yourself unto him, he'll give you one more year. front row is the splash zone so if you get hit it's just what it is sign a waiver next time I don't think I'm sick he says give me one more year with that tree I know it's using up the soil Lord I know it's a taker I know when the offering plate comes by, they look as if it ain't their duty to be putting something in there. Oh man, full house today, empty next week. Okay, that's fine. Jesus did it with twelve. We'll do it with twelve. Well, the offering just really takes the wind out of everybody's <laughs> sails. I don't know where to go from there. (laughs) Say, you know what? They shouldn't be dealing with that sin issue anymore. They've been here a long time to be living like that. But I'm going to give them one more year, I'm going to give them another year. I know they ought to be done with them drugs and alcohol by now. But I'm going to give them one more year. I'm going to deal with them again. They ought to be preaching the gospel instead of whining and crying to everybody. But I'm going to give them one more year. They ought to be a lot nicer by now. But I'm going to give them one more year. I know they ain't been very faithful. But I'm going to give them another year. I'm going to give them another year. sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. See, a lot of times being planted feels a lot like being buried. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. See, this compassionate gardener intercedes for more time to water and to fertilize the fruitless tree. The gracious Lord of the vineyard responds in patience. And if you'll let God begin to dig some things back in your life, if you'll let God begin to do what only He can do, you'll come to the cross and apply his death onto your tree just like that manure he's going to help you he's going to grow you but you've got to quit acting like you got more than a year You've got to quit acting like you've got an unlimited amount of chances in time. You need to stop. You need to grow up and get on or get off. God's going to work with you. He's going to be patient, but you're not going to lie to him. And it's time to quit lying to God and the people of God about your situation. And it's time to get it right. Time to get it right. It's too much at stake. It's too much at stake. Why wouldn't the owner expect figs from a fig tree? It would be weird to not have them. God wants to pull back and expose some things, He wants to put something dead on it. His death. So this parable ends open-ended. We don't know what happens at the end of the year. Just ends. Give it a year, okay. End. What does that mean? God's pulled you into the responsibility of where am I going to go? Because if fruit comes, it's because I responded correctly. If it doesn't, it wasn't because I didn't. It's because I didn't respond correctly. God's got fruitfulness for you. But here's the beauty of the thing. We believe in this thing called substitutionary atonement, which is just a fancy way for saying God died in your place. So, see, when you come to Jesus, you're coming to the judgment of God, where all of your sins were judged in Jesus, so you don't have to be judged anymore. So you go from darkness to light or you go from an orphan to a son or a daughter. It's like God becomes the fruitless tree and says, I'll stand in their place where they can produce fruit again. That Jesus is the judgment of God. He's God's final say towards sin is Jesus on that cross. So guess what? He dug himself back and exposed himself on the cross. Was covered with his blood and manure and God knows what else. So that you could come to him and do what you were created to do. And that's produce some fruit. So it's hard to carry this fruit. But you know what makes it a little bit easier? The cross enables me to carry all the fruit. Because the cross does all the work. I don't know what the bag represents, so you're just going to have to use your imagination. Faith. Okay. The bag is faith. God, you're going to accomplish this by faith. See, some of you just need to put something dead on it. You need to put something dead on it, and that's Jesus' death on the cross. And he'll help you carry those fruits. He'll help you produce and bear. He'll do it. He'll do it. So you can run to the judgment of God or from the judgment of God. But if you run away from the judgment of God, it will find you. You can fall on Him and be broken or He can fall on you and you can be crushed to powder. I'd rather fall on Him. So fall on Him today. Would you fall on Him today? Would you pray with me? God, we just...